Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are. Welcome to the beginning of the Region 6 Convention. The topic of this panel is Step 1. My name is Debbie. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Our speakers are Judith and Emily. This session is being interpreted simultaneously. If you prefer to listen in French, please click on the interpretation symbol and click French. Closed captioning is available on live transcript. Please let us open with the serenity prayer. Deep breath in, let it out. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This session will feature two speakers who have up to 20 minutes each to speak. After that, the attendees will be able to ask questions of the speakers. The audio from this session is being recorded and will not be edited. By speaking at this workshop, you have given permission to be recorded. Please note that this session will be available online as a podcast or online webinar information. As you have noted, a webinar is view only. Only the panelists are visible. Attendees are not visible to each other or to the people on the panel. Attendees are automatically muted. Please use the Q&A function to ask the panelists a question and use chat for supportive comments. Please respect the anonymity of all who attend, including by refraining from screen capturing or audio recording. Two notes from our speakers. The timer will signal you when you have five minutes remaining and when you are done. Please remember to speak slowly. Our first speaker is, I don't remember who, Emily or Judith? Judith. Judith. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, I'm Judith, a grateful recovering food addict and compulsive eater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Actually, it's the first time I'm speaking at the convention from Pennsylvania. I moved here three months ago. I'm so grateful that I was led to OA because it was here where I found the God of my understanding. I have my daily reprieve since April 1st, 1999, and I've released 60 pounds. Thank you, God. Before I came into OA, I was on a lot of diets where I lost weight and gained more weight back, and I was born a compulsive eater. All my memories of my relatives revolved around what we ate together, and most of my eating was done in private. Some compulsive eating stories, uh, when I was little, I used to go to the movies and get um, two snacks before I got there, and then when I got home, my mom would give me desserts that were left over from her bridge company. Um, when my father being a dentist, he would um, limit our uh, snacking in between 
meals. Uh, but I always did it sneaking, knowing that if he found out, I get in trouble. And he always did find out. When I was uh, babysitting, you know, the people say, oh, help yourself. And I did. But I was so embarrassed. So I would puff up the bags after, you know, I ate it or I turn over whatever I got to in the freezer. Once when I was a counselor at an overnight camp, I was very uncomfortable. So I took everybody's overnight duty so that I didn't have to socialize with them. And also because we got food once the kids went to sleep. And when I was in college, I remember eating my roommate's snacks that her mom would send her. I lied about it. I tried to fold up the paper, but I didn't, wasn't very successful doing it as well. And um, I couldn't tell the truth that I had done that. Also, when I was in college, I would um, study outside all day. And the dinner when I came in was from a vending machine. Once when I was working in Boston, I remember getting a snack, one of my favorite snacks, and I got on the tea and I started eating one slice and another and another. I couldn't stop. And I remember hearing the people behind me saying, oh, my gosh, she probably hasn't eaten in years. And when I was married, um, when I after I got married, I remember going to the grocery store, buying all these things that I wanted to binge on. I get out into the car, throw everything in the front seat and I eat it in the car before I got home or I'd save it to eat when I got home, when everyone went to sleep. When I was compulsively eating, I hated myself. I was so ashamed because I couldn't stop eating. I was um, sens extremely sensitive. I was a victim. Everything was happening to me. Uh, I had a punishing God. I say I know, had no God, but I had a punishing God. And so I came into OA after um, being not successful in an outside enterprise, but thank goodness she was in, the owner of the place was in OA. And she handed me the Overeaters Anonymous um, first edition of the book. And um, she said, I think you need to read this. So I went home, I read it. And as I'm reading it, I'm eating and I'm saying, I'm not that bad, but I'm so grateful that I knew that I had to stay. So I came in 84 and struggled until 91, 1991, had six years of back-to-back -back abstinence. And then I relapsed for two years until I reclaimed the abstinence that I have today, uh, which was April 1st, 1999. And I learned very early when I came to OA, we had to follow a gray sheet plan because that was on gray paper. I think that's why it was called that. And um, you couldn't, you couldn't have anything with sugar unless it was fifth ingredient or lower. And the only thing I did have with sugar, couldn't find it without, was salad dressing. And I had a lot of salads, so I, um, I was binging all the time. So I, that's when I learned right away that I have to read labels. And there cannot be, in the food I buy, there can't be any added sugar or added gluten. And when I came in the very beginning, I was told, use the tools, work the steps. And I did that then. And I, I've done that up until today. Thank you, God. Um, since I have relapsed in my story, I, I know that I have um, a healthy respect for my disease. Uh, so I have to be willing to go to any lengths so that I can um, stay on top of the lies that my disease tells me, you know, like, you don't have to go to a meeting or one bite won't matter. So talking about step one, 
we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, excuse me, food, I'm sorry, and that our lives had become unmanageable. The we and the hour is very comforting to me because it tells me that I'm not alone. I grew up with uh, physical and emotional and sexual abuse, so I fought step one because I thought it meant that I was helpless. But it doesn't mean that. It just means that I'm powerless over food, but I'm not powerless over the footwork. I'm so grateful that I finally realized and understood by accepting a power, uh, my powerlessness, it opened me up to new power. And I also, not only do I accept that I'm powerless over food, I also with the steps say that I'm powerless over people, places, and things. So the spiritual principle of step one is honesty. And we have to realize and accept we can't control our eating. We have a threefold disease, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I was so relieved to find out that it was a disease because I thought it was my fault. And I was so filled with shame about that. And we as compulsive eaters, we have an abnormal tendency and reaction to food. And when we indulge, we crave more and we can't stop. Sometimes the craving is for a particular food and some compulsive eaters indulge in the illusion of control by restricting food intake and some purge after eating to control their weight. But with all compulsive eaters, our bodies and minds have these abnormal tendencies. So in the big book, the doctor's opinion chapter, Dr. Silkworth talks about when, when alcohol, alcoholics drink, it sets off a phenomenon of craving that then triggers a mental obsession to keep the person drinking. And for us, when we eat a food alcohol, that sets off a phenomenon of craving, which sets off or triggers a mental obsession that we have to keep eating the food that we're allergic to. And that's the insanity of step two that they talk about. So to live free from the bondage of compulsive eating, we must abstain from all foods and eating behaviors that cause us to eat compulsively. In the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silworth says that we must have entire abstinence from alcohol. And for us, we must have abstinence from all alcoholic foods. And for me, that's sugar, gluten, and any food that I find I eat too much of. Since our body and minds are abnormal to stay stopped from compulsive eating, we need some power outside ourselves. Dr. Silthworth says that we need to experience an entire psychic change, which is more than human power. And we also must work the steps. I like page, I always like the um, quote on page 30 in the big book, in more about alcoholism that reminds us that we must fully concede to our innermost selves that we were, al we were alcoholics or food al addicts. The delusion that we are like other people has to be smashed. I like that. To me, that's a very good visual for me. So we must accept that our disease is never permanently eradicated. And we must honestly look at our destructive eating or the things that we do to avoid eating. I'm sorry to interrupt, love. Can you go a little slower and just take, oh, I know okay. it's exciting. It's the good stuff. So I'm sorry. Can you pick up? Doing fine. Okay. <laughs> um, the second part of step one 
is I really think I'm talk, talking slowly. That's funny, huh? The second part of step one is looking at how our life is unmanageable. I thought I just had a weight problem. And I related in, the, in our book, in the step book, um, I related to all the ways that it says, that shows that our life was unmanageable. Were we unhappy? Were we falsely cheerful? Were we a victim? Like if only life would be manageable, right? Did we eat to numb our anxieties or disappointments? Did we isolate? Were we self-sufficient, self-centered? And I start in my book, because this is so me, I hid and I ate and I never grew up. So by accepting step one, it opens us up to a power that leads us to steps two and three and the rest of the steps. And accepting step one, we let go of control and then our lives become more manageable. And by accepting step one, we admit we have an incurable progressive disease and ultimately fatal. And program is our medication. So with step one, for me, it's sort of like having a flashlight that shows me what I need to accept as having no control over and what can I change. Mostly it's about my perceptions and step one helps me to switch to looking at my, uh, turning to my higher power so that I'm not so alone with a problem. So I wanted to end, I don't know how much time I have, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wanted to end with two readings, um, one from for today, not for the whole reading, but just some of it and one from uh, Voices of Recovery, our meditation books. On page 221, this is a prayer. Dear God, remind, this is in for today. Remind me of what life was like before I came in to Overeaters Anonymous. The obsession, demoralization, treadmill, despair, and sickness. I am as powerless over food now as I was the day I walked in. Compulsive overeating and hope are not compatible. My new life of abstinence, peace of mind, and physical well-being was made possible by a willingness to trust in a power greater than myself. All I have to do is to keep on letting that power do for me what I cannot do for myself. And then on page 71, which is in Voices of Recovery, compulsive eating is an illness that cannot be controlled by willpower. None of us decided to have this disorder. And that's from our first, the first page of um, 12 and 12 of Overeaters Anonymous. I find such freedom in this idea. I am not responsible for having this disease. I don't have to beat myself up for being a compulsive overeater anymore. I also don't have to waste time trying to fix myself in ways that don't work. Though sworn by many of my friends to be the answer to their weight problems, willing, well, excuse me, willpower does nothing for my disease. Applying willpower to this compulsion is like applying an antibiotic to a viral infection. It will never have any effect. What does prevail against this disease is working the steps. 
When I really work them, and starting with step one, I recover spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And then I'm able to truly believe what step one tells me. I'm not responsible for the disease. I'm not weak from lack of willpower. I'm strong because I'm fighting it. And with my higher power on my side, there's no way the disease can win. Thank you so much. I appreciate everybody listening. Thanks. Thank you so very much. And now our next speaker will be Emily. Deb, just give me a minute here to rearrange the spotlight and check in with Lynn Renee. Lynn Renee, Saba? Okay. Uh, let me just redo the spotlight. Sorry, right, so we take the spotlight off and we put the spotlight on Emily. Okay. And Lynn Renee, so Emily, uh, you can see Lynn Renee, so she'll do this if you have to go slow, and you can see Lisa, who's going to let you know the time. All right, Miss Deb, we're ready. Thanks. And now, Emily, thank you. Hi, my name is Emily. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I live in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, in the corner of Massachusetts and Connecticut. Um, I have been uh, in OA since May or June of 2016, and I have been abstinent since October 28th of 2018. Um, one of my goals when I became abstinent was to be able to speak at a convention. I went to a convention in 2018. I forget which one it was, but it was 2018. And I came out of there saying, I'm going to speak at a convention coming up soon. And I knew I needed a year's of year of abstinence. So that's when my abstinence started. Um, I was very, I've been obsessing with what I'm going to say today for about a week. I, I am one of those people that needs to write things down. And I was tempted to write and read, but my higher power had um, other plans for me. Uh, I spent a couple of days just writing down words and thoughts and what examples I was going to use. And it still didn't work because my higher power didn't want me to do that. But I will start by saying that um, I'll talk about what, what it was like before I came to OA, what happened and what it's like now. And I do have a physical, emotional and spiritual disease. The physical part is the food. That's what basically brought most of us probably to OA. I know it brought me there because I can remember, I didn't know what it was called. I thought it was a, I, well, I didn't think it was a disease. I thought it was a malfunction. It was a, a bad, um, it was just wrong. It was a, a, a thing that I had to deal with and it, it caused me a lot of problems. And I remember being called a human garbage pail at times, sometimes jokingly, sometimes seriously. And I was, I was brought back to the memory of the um, commercial on television for a life cereal where it says, give it to Mikey. Mikey will eat it. He'll eat anything. And that was kind of how I felt 
because I would, I would eat anything. And I was known to both in within my family and outside with friends, if there was anything on a plate that somebody wouldn't eat, just give it to me, I'll eat it. I couldn't, I, I was taught not to waste food. So why would I not eat it? Because that would be wasting food. As far as my weight goes, I can remember the highest weight growing up I can remember was 110 pounds in fourth grade. And now it, today I work at a hospital and I saw approximately the same, uh, same age person come in and she, was, she weighed more than 110 pounds. And it's like, that just brought back memories of what I went through when I was her age. And I, you know, my heart just broke. Um, as far as the emotional part of it goes, I was a loner. I self-isolated because I didn't think people liked me. Um, I didn't really have any friends because I was too, too large and unable to be active like most of my friends were and most of the people that were my, my age in, you know, in school. Um, I was attracted to older people. And I don't really know why that is, but it, it, even even nowadays, I find that I can understand and and I I appreciate and enjoy being around older people. Um, back then, before OA, I was a grudge holder. Oh, somebody did something to me, and I would just hold on to that forever. Um, and I would jump at any attention given to me. Um, that's probably where, how I got into two relationships that, um, I married both, you know, at different times I, I got married twice and I think I was trying to control, um, both men and it didn't work and I needed to, to control and I needed to know exactly what they did at, at any time of the day or night. And that's probably why they failed. Because they didn't, they didn't measure up to what I expected. Um, I felt that the world owed me for all the pain and suffering that I, I had gone through. It was my way or the highway. Um, the funny thing, funny ironic thing is that my career paths all had supervisory, they were all supervisory positions. So I had that control, um, not realizing that that's what was happening because I kept saying, I kept telling myself that I didn't want the control because control meant responsibility. And I didn't want to take the responsibility for other people. And that's probably why I failed in, in those careers. When I didn't get my way, whether it be um, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, if I didn't get my way in something, I would throw a temper tantrum right from, from I can remember when I was a kid, you know, a, a young kid, if, if something didn't go my way, my parents wouldn't let me do something or one of my siblings uh, did something against me. Oh, I threw a temper tantrum and I, I could be nasty. Um, so that's the physical and the emotional part that I can, I can think of off the top of my head. The spiritual part was something a little bit different. I think I was searching for 
a personal relationship with a higher power. I didn't get that in the religious upbringing that I had. Um, we were expected to go to church every Sunday. We were expected to go to catechism, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it, um, whenever that was. Um, when I got you know, into high school and everything, I was actually expected to teach a, a younger class. And it's like, I didn't really know what I believed. I, I just, I was lucky that I could learn and I could retain some of the knowledge that I had and I could impart it to the next person. But I really didn't have the, the belief. And I can remember teaching with a, a fellow, um, fellow teacher and she was all into religion, religion, religion. And it's like, well, I don't really get that. But I let her take, you know, take what she needed to, to, to give to the students. And I just did my own thing. Um, being prepared for whatever was going to happen was kind of an expectation also. Um, let's see. I was, I was afraid of disappointing others. And I didn't think my thoughts and feelings were important because so many people didn't um, didn't go along with me, didn't, um, I don't know what the word is, didn't encourage me in the, in, in the way that I thought I needed to. So before OA, I was a physical, emotional, and spiritual train wreck. Um, fortunately, I had enough friends um, on the spiritual level that belonged to different organizations and I, and, and different religions and different belief um, groups. So I was working my way towards that when I found OA. I have to go back a little bit. I originally found OA when I was in high school back in the late seventies, probably 76, 77. I went to it. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. But then after I graduated from high school, I said, oh, I don't need it anymore. So I, I was I was powerful. I, I had everything I needed to do to I needed to be able to go out in the world and be a functioning person. Only it wasn't it wasn't a successful, um, successful person. It wasn't a um, I don't know. I wasn't as successful as I could have been if I had opened my my heart and my mind to to hearing what was going on and, and to really grasp what I needed to grasp. So the next part is like, what happened? In one word, OA happened. OA came back into my life. Um, I, at that point, I always say I was desperate and depressed. I was in a marriage of over 20 years. Uh, to an alcoholic. Originally, I went to Al-Anon. And when that didn't give me what I thought I needed, and I thought I could use to change my husband, my then husband, I decided I was going to do what I needed for me. I changed my focus from my alcoholic husband to the, the woman that I wanted to be. And 
that um, depression and desperation slowly, very, very slowly in the beginning, worked its way out. I met some of the nicest people in OA and some of the people that have become my best friends. I, uh, I went to the first meeting and I knew a couple people there and I asked one of the long-term members to be my sponsor. She was busy. I was crushed. I said, okay, this isn't going to work for me. I was kind of blaming the situation. Well, I don't have to do it because there's nobody to do it with. The following week, I went back to, to OA, that meeting. Like they said, come, keep coming back. You know, our hearts are, and hearts are always open. And I found another woman I had sat with, sat next to at the first meeting and that meeting. And after the meeting, I said, would you be my sponsor? And of course she said, yes. And that was in 2016. So we have been friends and sponsor sponsee relationship for six years. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. She was, she had been in, in OA. Well, now she's, she's in her 40 years and she has so much knowledge and so much patience and understanding and acceptance, everything that I, I wanted and I was looking for when I came to OA. So my higher power was looking out for me because he knew this was where I needed to be. Yes, I did. I was a little hesitant at first and I went through periods where I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to follow the steps. I didn't want to follow a food plan. I didn't want to use any of the tools. But between my higher power, my sponsor, and my fellows, I'm, I'm still here after six years. And that's a miracle. Um, so I had, like I said, I had ups and downs until the convention in 2018. And I had been to, the, I, I believe, I, the first one I went to was in uh, Toronto. And then I think it was either the following year or the year after. And I can't remember where it was, but that's when, you know, I had heard enough. I had felt enough. I had witnessed and experienced enough. I said, okay, it's time for me to start giving because I had been receiving all these blessings. And I know that all these blessings, I call them lessons turned blessings. And because I learn and, I, and from what I learn, I'm able to change my behavior and my attitude, my outlook, my life with my higher powers help. And that's important for me. You know, people, people that I knew outside of OA, they'll say, oh, you look great. I lost 70 pounds, by the way. And, the, you know, the miracle is that I kept it off for four years already. I have lost 70 pounds, given up 70 pounds and kept it off. And that is the miracle. Also, my attitude, my outlook, I am um, I'm just so grateful. Um, so let's see. Uh, and after my divorce was, uh, my divorce was finalized in 2017, I believe. Dates don't really mean that much to me. They, you know, it's just, it happened. I'm, I'm done with it. I can, I can let it go. Um, I was so grateful that I got through the divorce 
with the help of my OA fellows, my sponsor, um, and my, of course, my higher power, that I decided I had to do something to give back because I felt like I was taking, taking, taking. Everybody was giving to me. And I appreciated that. But I needed, my higher power told me that I could help people by becoming a sponsor. And the only way I could do it was to relive in, 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 explain, in explaining things. I, I, I had to relive what I learned. Emily, you have yeah. five minutes. Okay, thank you. Remaining, thank you. Um, so I just, like I had mentioned earlier, I desired to speak at a convention and I thank everybody for making this possible today. And um, I have turned my will and my life over to the care of my higher power, who I, I choose to call God. I have to turn it over every single day, one day at a time. And when I forget or don't do that, I have a rotten day. I really do. And just real quickly, um, the last couple of days have been really trying. Well, the last month or so has been trying. My mom, who's 92 and demented, fell and broke her hip. She lived with me prior to that. And we've been you know, working on whether she's going to come home, whether she's going to stay in a nursing home, what, you know, what she's going to do, what kind of services we need. And um, we had a family meeting the, uh, yesterday and I was really, really upset. But afterwards, driving home from the nursing home where she is now for rehab, I realized that my higher power gave me that experience so that I would remember and realize that I had to turn it over to him. He got me through it. He gave me the right person to call when I was driving home. He allowed me to have the tears that I had to shed because crying is a cleansing experience. And he gave me the words that I have spoken today. Like I said in the beginning, I obsessed about it for over a week or two, and it was unnecessary because my higher power gave me the words. My sponsor said, just say the, the serenity prayer before you start. And I've been saying the serenity prayer for a few days now, you know, almost every day. And I cannot thank my higher power enough for showing me that I am powerless without his help. And there is a difference between powerlessness and helplessness. And I just recently heard that. And it is so, so true. So um, in closing, I guess I'd just like to say that um, I'm, I wrote this down. Oh, I trust my higher power. I hope for the best. And I have faith. And those of you who know me, which aren't too many, but those of you who know me know I love acronyms. And my favorite acronym lately is faith. Fabulous adventure in trusting him. And he is my higher power. And with trust, hope, and faith, I can do anything. And I appreciate you um, all listening. And I thank you very much. And I'll close. Thank you so very much. We will now open the floor to questions and answers. Please type your question into the Q&A function, not the chat. I will read the questions to the speakers 
who will have up to two minutes to answer. Okay, so now I have to open up the Q&A. Uh, let's check in. Christine, are you going to take over from here? Christine, yes. How about Christine? Okay, good. Great job, Lynn Renee. Great job, Christine. Look at us. No open questions yet. Okay. And thank you, speakers, and thank you so much, translators, interpreters. Okay, I have a question. Was there a particular moment when you finally realized your powerlessness? If so, could you please describe it? Doesn't say for which one, so. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that. Um, in my case, it was when I was in the process of getting a divorce and I didn't have to be I didn't have to be um, angry, um, uh, military, rebellious. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't have to badmouth my husband. I didn't have to badmouth the situation. Mm -hmm. I could just let it go. I could talk to my sponsor. I could, I could write about it. Writing is another big tool that I like to use. Um, and I, I didn't have to resort to, to, negativity i could i got through the positivity without you know be using the the things that i used to use as a crutch i knew my higher power was taking over for me because i couldn't do it the right way thank you thank you for me um with food it was just because i kept trying to um be absent, I couldn't be. And I finally realized, oh, maybe this works, you know, just, you know, you know, accepting that I was powerless. And then, as I said, you know, leading that, that leads me to step two, getting a power and then step three. But when I think about my life just recently, um, I moved, as I said, um, three months ago, and there was no doubt that step was so in my life. There was so much that I had to do. I, I, by, being powerless, it helped me trust, you know, obviously. And um, my daughter had a plan as how we were going to move. I'm moving closer to move closer to her, but I had to trust everything, things that I never knew I could. And um, so I ended up buying a condo before I sold my house and truly, you know, working step all the steps with step one. So my move was definitely, there was no doubt that step was very much in my life during that time. Thank you. Thank oh, you very I'm, much. There was one other thing, I'm sorry, but there was one thing, cause this is crazy too. So when we moved here, um, <laughs> the moving company didn't have the right date or whatever. So we were three weeks without anything in this condo. It was totally empty except for two chairs, a blow up bed, um, uh, uh, maybe a four, a plastic fork and spoon. So again, I definitely use step one. Thank you. Thank you. I have a comment here for my interpreters. Merci beaucoup. Somebody <laughs> put in. I have another question here. When did you realize that you were powerless over people, places, and things, not just food? Was this a revelation over time or all of a sudden? 
I think it, for me, I think it was a, um, a revelation over time um, because it wasn't just in my marriage that I, that I was um, powerless over in food. It was my work relationships. It was how I dealt with the public when, when I had to. It was how I reacted to, reacted to things. And when I, when I say reacted, I mean, I can like throw temper tantrum. And I think there's a difference between responding and, and reacting. And reacting is explosive. And that was me. And with so, much, with so much reactionary responses, I realized nothing I said or did made any sense. And I complained about it and I, you know, talk about it and, and moan and groan about it all the time. But I had to finally give it up. And now the things that I, that I used to be upset about, it's just them, you know. I just turn it over and say, okay. And people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And people like that, it's, it's, it's a reason. And the reason is to teach me a lesson. And I have to learn what the lesson is. So I pass. Thank you, Judith. Yeah, I think the steps definitely, you know, that's helped me. And also I'm in another 12-step program that kind of con- obviously connects with this in terms of me, you know, accepting my powerlessness and doing uh, what's, I have to keep, I, I have to look at me and what, what I have to do instead of looking at what every, everybody and everything that's wrong. What am I, what's my next right action? My higher power helps that with that. Thank you very much. I have another question. How do you apply step one at work and or with your family? For me, I talk to my higher power, sometimes audibly, sometimes just in my mind, but I'm always constantly talking to him, whether I say, please, thank you, or help, you know, um, I realize that he is always there and that I can't handle the person, especially personalities. I have a, um, a difficult job with a lot of people and a lot of people telling, telling me what to do, go here, go there, go, you know, wherever. And I just have to, you know, say, okay, God guide me, you know, and, and that's the only way I can do it and know that he is there. And like, um, a, a common song, you know, and I apologize if I'm um, offending anybody, but the, one of the lines to a common song, song that I like is Jesus take the wheel. And I have to physically do that. I have to physically say that sometimes verbally, you know, loudly enough and um, other times just to myself and to him. So that's me. Um, I'm retired. Um, but when I was a teacher, I taught for over 40 years. Uh, definitely. Um, had to remember, um, definitely was powerless uh, with my classroom and and my, you know, my job at my job. But the serenity prayer definitely, um, you know, along with meditating, of course, but the serenity prayer definitely just kind of switches me sometimes to realize, you know, what can I, you know, accept the things I can change, what can I change? And and then, you know, turn to my higher power. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I have another question here. I have a sponsee who thinks her life is manageable enough. The only problem is she can't stop eating when she wants to. How can I help her see the unmanageability in other areas that I see? 
You can go first, Judith. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Sometimes I guess um, I don't know if my sponsees are listening, <laughs> but you know, like you know, I might. Well, I'll try to think of times um, in my life when I've acted a certain way and and how that might have you know not been the best way of acting and what I did to change it. I guess, um, but. Um, I know truly it's, it's really um, an inside job and people have, you know, the person has to, um, you know, understand their, their own personality. So maybe working some other steps or, you know, some other part of the program, delving deeply, more deeply. Yeah, that's what I was starting to think about is um, find the step that applies to that per, uh, particular situation. And possibly even going back to um, like step four, where we find out what we what we were like and what causes us to to do some of the things that we've done and make us make our, make us aware more self aware, and um, then try to just coordinate and, and make a suggestion as to how it could affect that particular situation. Is there any particular situation, place, or thing that presses your buttons and reminds you that life is unmanageable when you go there? Hmm. Dealing with my mother. <laughs> um, she lives with me. Um, I try, you know, most of the time I try to suggest things. She's 92 and demented. Um, most of the time, like I'll try to suggest something or I'll do something my way and she'll go behind me and, you know, change, change what I did. And in the beginning, I just said, you know, I, I, I would, I would fight. I would pick a fight with her. I would throw a temper tantrum. Why are you doing that? You don't trust me. You don't like me. You know, whatever came to mind. And I would, I, I was over her. I was smarter than she was. I was, you know, whatever. I, I knew the right way of doing things and she wasn't doing it. And I didn't tell her, you know, I, I didn't spare any words, but probably within the last year, year and a half, maybe I've changed that because I've accepted the fact that she has her way. I have my way. If it makes her happy, let her do it. You know, so that's just how I've had to deal with it. I still find myself occasionally going backwards, but at least I'm aware of it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing only because my husband's sitting over there and he's in program um, and we're married over 53 years and I, it's an honest program and I can allow, I do allow him to push my buttons and then thank goodness I have program to help me with it. Thank you. What kind of assignments do you give to your sponsees on step one? Well, in in the very beginning, um, I've always sit down with my sponsees and um, read the doctor's opinion with that. You know, we go through it and talk about what it means to them. Um, and I have had um, some sponsees who will start, you know, they'll start the steps and they struggle a little. So I use something called slipping and sliding. Um, that's, that's a PDF. Uh, file if anyone wants it it's there's an if you get it you have to make make sure it connects to the newer um, our newer literature but there are 30 questions that helps 
um, sponsees get more in touch with um, the steps one, two, and three, but the, their powerlessness. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so far, all I've done with my sponsees, and I've only had a couple, is to just work the work the questions in the workbook. Mm. And and if I when they share what they've written with me, um, if I if something triggers me and says, okay, well, what about this? You know, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more. Thank and you. So, I'm sorry. Sometimes I even go back to and share what I've written. You know, what I wrote a lot a long year. You know, when I was doing step one. Thank you. And in the chat, it says here, thank you, ladies, for your wonderful share and your reminder to turn our trials over to our higher power. Let's just throw that in because that was there. the only way. <laughs> uh, waiting for more questions. I guess you've answered everything they have. Sandy, what time do we end? Uh, oh, I forgot how to hit all the buttons. Uh, we end at six. See that? Okay, so we have time. We have nine more minutes. waiting you sure there are no more questions oh, oh okay generally please describe your food plan Um, my food plan right now is, um, calories. I, I have an app on my phone, um, that helps me, you know, figure out how many calories I should have. My main reason for that is because I don't know what a serving looks like. I don't know what a, what a cup looks like. I don't know what half a cup. I don't know what five ounces looks like. I don't know. I'm totally powerless over that. So with that guidance, and then I've added, of course, um, no no desserts, no sweets, and I cut down on on my sugar and um, other triggering foods um, that have helped that have uh, I don't know hurt me in the past. Um, and it worked; it's been working for me for three uh, almost four years now. So that's what I do. Do we mention foods? Is that what we're supposed to do? Generally, generally, not specifically. Well, hmm. first of all, I, I turn my food over to my higher power. I used to um, call it in, write it in and all that. And I, I have, I, I mentioned that I have to, I read labels. So anything I'm having has no gluten and no added sugar. And um, so in breakfast, I have um, I'm supposed to say, uh, so I have an, it's called a nut ball. Okay. So anyway, I have that. And, um, 
And for lunch, I have a protein, a salad. Um, and if I have a carb, it's not gluten. I don't know, because I'm trying not to say the word, I guess. And then for, <laughs> and then for dinner, it's, it's um, uh, a protein and a carb that I, one that I can handle, you know, and um, I do have, I always included um, snacks. I think there's in our, what's it called? Dignity of choice. I think they still have that. Um, there are plans with that. And I always had it and it was when it went in if I need it. And for me now, cause I have osteoporosis, my, it's usually connected to something that I have to have because of my osteoporosis having that. Um, but there, everything is mo moderation. You know, I know what what um, what I can have, and I I do have neutrality around food. I'm extremely grateful thanks to this program. Thank you. Here's a great one. What's your favorite OA slogan? Ooh, hard to pick one. I don't, oh, slogan, not the one I said about being like others has to be smashed. That's not a slogan, is it? As <laughs> <laughs> a quote, oh, slogan. I know I like acronyms like um, it's interesting Emily you and I do I didn't mention them because I didn't think I had time but I like frog fully relying on God and yep. pause praying and use spiritual energy and I just I said denial right um, there's another one wait what is the other one um, binge believing I'm not good enough mm. yeah I love acronyms um, this too, shall, this too shall pass. Is that an OA one or not? I'm sorry. If it's not. Oh, that's another program. <laughs> Emily? Um, I have to say, I can't. God can. Oh, I yeah. think I'll let God. That's a good one. Because that says it all. And that, that helps me remember that I have to turn to him every day. Mm. Excellent. But I'm going to throw one in. When I'm nuts... Not using the steps. Oh, oh Kimberly will like that one, right? <laughs> I have one more question I think we have time for. I have not been able to find a sponsor. How do you suggest I sp start my program until I do find a sponsor? Mm. Go to meetings. Yeah. Make, make phone calls. And uh, talk to people. And read your literature, if you know whatever whatever you've been able to pick up so far. Read your literature. Yeah, um, yeah. Reach out and say that you're looking for one, or go up to someone. Very often, if you ask someone, they'll temporarily sponsor. But if if they can't find one, along with the literature, the podcasts are wonderful. Um, OA podcasts and recordings. Fabulous. One more minute, and then we're going to wrap this up. I'd like to take this time to thank our speakers, to, to thank everybody who did service here today, my fabulous interpreters who, whenever I call on them, they are so willing and able and to do service. My timer, my Sandy, I don't know when you sleep because you're always online waiting to help people. Um, all the people who are doing service for this convention and for this now. If you're around in another hour, we're going to have our grand opening and our keynote speaker for tonight. So I would like us all to take a nice deep breath in, let it out, 
And if nobody told you today they love you, God loves you. Mm-hmm. And so do I. Let's end with the serenity prayer. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you so very much. I'll see you in an hour. Thank you. Deb, thanks. Um, Judah, thanks. Emily, great job. First one. Thank you so very much. Yes. That's brave. You did it. You did it. We did it. <laughs> Got one under our belt. Yeah. One, one, one. And Kim, thank you. And Leanne, thank you. Yes. And anyone who I didn't. Yeah. And Lisa. Lisa was awesome. Everybody was great. Everybody was Yeah, just... like we knew what we were doing. I know, right? It's like good training we got. <laughs> That's it. That's it. We practiced. I'm going to sign off now and I'll see you guys in an hour. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Found out there were all kinds of chats we didn't need to post in the chat because this is a webinar. So we've been cleaning that up. We're just doing great, great work. All right. If um, I'm actually, I'm going to leave the room open, but I'm going to put you guys back in the audience. Okay. You don't have to stay in the audience. You can go and then come back or you can go to the other room. I'll come back later. Sandy, if you need need more translation, translation, last minute translation, text me. Okay. Um, I'll have a, a, a quick break with my fiance. Ah, what? A personal life? I don't think so. Yes, I'm trying to. See you later. So, bye. bye. All right, let's see who else is not up here. Okay, change to attendee. All right, very good, everybody. Okay, this room's on a break. We'll be back at um, the next uh, thing is the grand opening at 7 p.m. See you then.